You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm the host of this wonderful show. And join me on the other line. He finally went to a game when the Pacers won. He finally broke his curse from West Indianapolis Community News and Forbes.com. It's Tony East. Tony, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy that I'm a, I'll be able to attend games without thinking about me being the reason the Pacers lose anymore. Because prior to tonight, every home game I had been at, they had lost. And every home game I didn't attend, they won. So it was freaking me out. But finally, in the weirdest back-to-back of all time, the Pacers got a win. Uh, they beat the Raptors. And in typical Pacers fashion this season, they tried to confuse me because they were fully healthy and they lost to the Raptors when they didn't have Lowry. And then Lowry came back and Sabonis got hurt and the Pacers won. So what the hell? I'm, but whatever, they got it done. They played very well. Yeah, like, so going into the series, I was that a split was likely, right? I just, you play a team twice, you should win one of the games. Like, just it's the way, like, especially when you play them, like, back-to-back. Or, I mean, even if it's a day off in between, you should win a game. But then to lose the, the study one, which, which the – Raptors were clearly just trying to give up. I mean, I mean, they weren't trying to give up, but they didn't play Lowry. Uh, they didn't seem like they were super interested in trying to win the game. You know, they wanted to play in the second night. And so you thought, oh, they should have a good shot here. And they really got thoroughly dominated by the OG and, and, and Anobi squad on, on Sunday. And they come back tonight, and they don't have, like I said, they have Sabonis. Uh, Lowry plays like crap. OG plays like crap. And they win the game because Brogdon goes from having his worst probably game of season, his best game this season. So nice little dichotomy right there. Absolutely. Yeah, that it, w- it was very strange the way it shook out, but their offense really came uncorked in this second Raptors game. They shot 41% from deep. They took 45 free throws, which I, I looked up after the game was their most since April of 2013 in a regular season game. So very unique way to score, but they, you know, they pounded the rim with Sabonis in the first game. They still did with the second game, but you know, without Sabonis, it was more kind of drives than it was, you know, his post-ups and stuff like that. And Turner got 16 free throws because he was cut, rolling a lot in the fourth quarter. Brogdon got to the rim a lot. He had 14 free throws himself. Those two are 30 free throws of the 45, which is crazy. Jamie Lamb drew a couple fouls. Like, in general, they were just doing a great job of sticking to the game plan from the first game because Bjorkren even said after the first loss, like, I like the shots we got. We just missed a lot of them. And Brogdon and Sabonis were a big culprit of that. They kept hammering the rim, and they got him to go this time, and it, it opened up their whole offense, and the free throws were a big part of that. So they, they, nice, efficient victory, and credit to Bjorkren for believing in what he uh, hit the game plan he came up with. Yeah, and I think you can't talk about this without bringing up, obviously, the return of Jeremy Lamb, who tonight alone had 22 points, played 33 minutes. Uh, he's averaging about 17 points per game in his first four games back, and uh, he looks like he is, I would say, like fully returned. There's there, – you know, the first couple of games, you were like, how many minutes can he play? Is he ready to come back? You know, what is going to look? At this point, I mean, we, we've, the Pacer fan, never seen, like, the full Jimmy Lamb because he came to the Pacers and got hurt, like, the first game. Then he was, like, on up in injuries for the whole first half of last season. But if you look back to Jimmy Lamb and the Hornets, this is how he looked against the Hornets, right? A, a really good three-point shooter at times, a guy who can create a little bit, a guy who can just do a little bit of everything offensively, maybe isn't, like, super elite, but is, like, just really good. And so, uh, to me, he's been a big part of, obviously, a big part of tonight's win, but a big part of their really two and two week from going from that to what could have been an 0 and 4 in the last four games. Yeah. So, with Warren out and then subsequently the depot trade, right, they really lost a lot of the off the dribble self creation skills like really fast, right? Like without Warren, they got by because Brogdon's been doing pretty good at it this year, but. You know, they counted on Depot quite a bit for that. So without Depot, they, they were really shallow on that. We saw that. They scored very few points against um, the Clippers, and then uh, they had a 102 against the Raptors, right? They, they got some wins in between, but uh, they they were struggling a little bit more on offense. Lamb comes in, and immediately to be a good off-the-dribble scorer has been really huge for the way Bjorkren plays, and, and he's shooting from the Bjorkren zones. This is only through three games, obviously, because – we, the fourth game isn't quite in the basketball reference data sheet yet, but he took 35% of his shots in those first three games from zero to three feet. His career high prior to the season was 23%, right? So he's just driving like crazy. And Bjorkren's like, just do your thing, man. You're tall and, and just do it. And he's been doing a great job of that. And like you said, hitting more threes than he typically does. I don't know if that necessarily will hold, but you know, he, he averaged 15 points a game in Charlotte. That was the season he took 23% of his shots at the rim. 
if he continues to be able to drive like this and be the self-creator the Pacers need him to be, I mean, I don't expect him to continue to score 17 points a game, but he's been playing so well on offense that he can definitely sustain more than he did last year with the Pacers, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a reason the Pacers won both the times he scored over 20 and lost when he didn't. I mean, they yeah. they, they need his offense, frankly. I mean, uh, maybe tonight they didn't necessarily because they, they did have a really nice night scoring 129 points. Um, but in general, <laughs> they've – they've needed that like extra offense off the bench, especially because they basically moved all their good bench players to the starting lineup because of the injuries and, yeah. and Karras, right. Uh, you know, his thing. So, right. So they moved McDermott and that's not, they were the two best bench players, obviously. Right. Cause the bench, you know, you've got, and then they had Spones out tonight pretty much so that he didn't there to lead the bench unit. And then McConnell's not really a bench scorer. So then you got Aaron holiday. Who we can talk about plays like garbage, uh, frankly, for most of the season so far. So they moved away all that offense. And they needed somebody who could kind of, Provide the spark off the bench, and then if he's hot, keep it going and you know play him. So he missed tonight. They played him, I think, ten minutes in that third quarter because he's playing really well. Um, yeah, he's just been really good in it. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'd say Brogdon is the best point guard he's played with so far because he played with Kemba, obviously. But I think playing with someone like Brogdon and having the space to bonus crates has been really helpful to him. If you watch, he gets a lot of these like kind of quick pull up threes that he's taking and stuff like that, like stepping into like especially when the Raptors were playing their two three zone the past couple nights. So it's interesting to see that he really is like there's a lot of like trust and confidence that he's like, just take the shots. Like there's no, like it's somebody else's turn to shoot. No, it's just like you shoot, man. Like we need somebody to take shots. We need somebody who could score at a high enough rate to, you know, keep us in these games. Yeah. McConnell, like you meant, you mentioned him earlier. He can be the bench creator when Justin or Doug or both are with him because they provide the spacing. They can hit the three enough that creating for others is enough offense for the second unit. And McConnell did really well in this game today, but he played with the starters a ton. But with those guys are starting, the bench is more heavily, with other guys like like Goga's with the bench, Jakar played with the bench uh, on Friday, Friday, Wednesday, Wednesday against the Mavs. Uh, you know, it's just different groups that don't necessarily have the same shooting power. Now, well, Justin Holland has still been playing a ton of minutes, so McConnell's still doing all that, but they don't have the as much creation and as much potency from the backcourt. With Lamb, they immediately have that back. Even with him playing really well, Bjorkren, I think, is going to keep him with the bench no matter what. Like, he can, he played, what, 30 minutes just now against the Raptors? Something close to that? Yeah, close to that. Yeah. 33, actually, right? So, a little over, a little over, yeah. So, regardless of if he's coming off the bench or not, he can still play big minutes if, he, if he's fitting a role. But because he's that valuable, like I said, that self-creator who can – you know, he is, like you just described, playing off of other guys very well. But he gives them a skill to keep their second unit humming in a way that it kind of hadn't after the injuries. And I, I think that's really crucial. So, even though – they're still kind of rocky this season. They're kind of inconsistent as a team. Lamb coming back and, and powering up their bench again has made them look you – know, they, they had a huge dud against the Clippers, and their defense looked lost against the Kings, at least in their Mavs loss for most of that game. And the Raptors lost. They looked competitive for a lot of the game. So they, I mean, yeah, they, they, they should have won the first Raptors game, arguably, if, you know, yeah. some really bad execution in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, bad rebounding on that last possession, right? So – yeah, the Mavs got away from them in that fourth quarter. Luka just dominated without Miles. They looked lost on defense. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they, they've done well, and Lamb's been a part of that. But Miles, I just said his name. We need to talk about him. Do you want to do him first or the last thing from this Raptors game? I want to cover the Sabonis injury. Which one of those two topics? Let's do Sabonis about? first because I think we, we, have, we want to talk about all three centers. So let's do Sabonis first, okay. though, because that's the most interesting thing tonight. He yes. uh, bumped knees with Kyle Lowry that he bumped knees with, I believe. Yes, correct. Um, and he left the game he played, ended up – he broke. He lost double doubles. He ended up playing only eleven minutes, um, eight, eight, 11 points and three rebounds. So that double double streak came to an end, unfortunately for the bonus. But uh, the bigger thing is that he has a knee contusion injury. Uh, they did MRIs, I believe, tonight, and they did X-rays tonight. X-rays tonight, MRI, MRIs MRI. tomorrow. Yes, and I guess that's when we'll know the extent of the injury. It didn't seem that terrible um, on the video, but you never really know. I mean, Lambsdor last year had the same thing, right? It didn't look like he like had torn his ACL, maybe than he had. So you don't know. It's kind of weird because right after the injury, I saw him rubbing his knee, and I was like, well, that's weird. I wonder if he'll come out. And then he played for, like, three more minutes. You know, Lamb took free throws, but he was obviously limping and in pain, right? The doctors had to come, like, pick him up off the floor. Yeah. Like, Sabonis was running, and he hit a three and stuff. Like, I thought for a second he was just going to play through it, and then there was a TV timeout, and the other four guys who were on the court were sitting in, like, the the circle. You know, they were drawing a play, and Sabonis was, like – kind of limping or hopping. I don't even know what the right word is behind them. And then he left the court and then the training staff went back with them. And then about 10 minutes later, uh, Chad Buchanan, the Pacers GM went back there and I went, uh Oh, and then Woj, uh, NBA newsbreaker, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski says he had a negative X-ray 
for any knee like bone issues. Let me get the exact wording up so I don't just stumble over a bunch of words. X-rays on the left knee of Pacers Oster Center DeMontis reveal no structural damage, right? So they're doing an MRI, which is concerning, right? If you're doing an MRI, that's it's never good. But, you know, bone bruises can be one of those things that just, like, hurts and you have to rest for a while. Maybe he's out a few weeks. Maybe it's longer if there's something structural in the MRI. But to me, the fact that he was able to play <laughs> for a couple minutes after it suggests that it's not, like, a deep muscle thing or a tear or anything like that. So I guess we'll see. But I'm not going to say it's promising. Any knee injury is scary, especially a bump like that. But I feel like – you know, at most, it's like right now, my hunch is that it's like at most a couple week thing. And we'll find out more on the MRI tomorrow. Yeah. He, remember, he, he banged knees with somebody on Sunday, too. Like, like Did straight. He? Oh, I remember that. You're right. I don't remember who, but he got straight, like kind of kicked pretty much in the knee. Yeah. So I do wonder maybe if it was already. I don't, know, I don't even know if it's the same leg, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if there was already some kind of little injury there and just got re, you know, swallowed up or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, as long as it's not like a, a some kind of tear, that's at least a good sign, right? I mean, you're going to have injuries throughout the season. Look, right? if it was a tear, if it was a full tear, he would not have been able to play for minutes, right? Well, so, and I think there would have been some – they wouldn't have released the x-rays were negative, right? If they thought it was a tear. Right. Or they would have said right. – you would have seen the fear he might have done this to his knee and then they'll have extra yeah. – right? Yeah, usually right. it's how it gets leaked <laughs> out, true. right? I mean, yeah, I'm just, so I'm some, just thinking how it usually happens. but Like seeing, we'll see. seeing the GM walk back – and the fact that he didn't return to the game, like a few signs that maybe it's not awesome, but the no structural damage and you're right, the wording we've gotten seems like not terrible. So we'll see. Um, I, I, I don't know what to exactly make of it, but the fact that they're getting great play from one center and they got good play from another center, which I get to bask in my takes from last Friday, just five days later, I'm so excited, means that. Maybe they can be okay if he does miss some time, which, again, we'll find out tomorrow. And, of course, we will cover that on future podcasts. But, uh, yeah, they have ways to mitigate it, but we will see how severe it actually is. And we did see them struggle without Miles Turner for a while. So, obviously, they will struggle if Sabonis misses time. Yeah, so let's do that. Let's take one quick break, and we'll talk about the other two centers on the Pacers. Today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. So we are now in Super Bowl week-ish, two weeks, right? So that means the big game is going to be lots of betting to have, lots of different prop bets, lines, who knows what. Uh, I believe the line they have up currently uh, has the Chiefs favored uh, by three and a half points. But if you take the money line on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you can get plus 120. That's a pretty good bet for uh, Tom Brady, who's – Got to break his Super Bowl. And right now, I've got to betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You get a 50% welcome bonus. That's right. Go to betonline.ag. Use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sports book expert. So the Pacers looked lost without Miles Turner the, in the first game this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but once he returned, they looked like they everything settled back, right? He was playing with a wrap on his hand, some kind of – I don't know what it's not a cast, but just some tape. Uh, he did say uh, on his post-game sh- press or post-game press, we want to call it with uh, JJ's afternoon that the doctor told him he could do no more damage, but it might get a little sore or whatnot. So that was a good sign. And he was still swatting shots with that right hand. So seems to be fine. And he put up probably his best week of the season and maybe as a pacer so far. Not as a pacer, right? Uh, so there's that, there's that week. I don't remember his last year, two years ago when he had, where he had like 20 points or three or four straight games, but if you combine his defensive efficiency, which has never been better, in my opinion, yeah. with the, what, he put up 15 or 19 tonight, 20-something the other night. Uh, I mean, 21 tonight. I was going to read off uh, a tweet okay. from iPacers blog, friend of the pod, Derek Kramer. I think he's done like five times. He might be our most frequent Pacers guest. Anyway, he's the three best. games since Miles fractured his hand. 22 points, nine rebounds, three blocks against the Magic. 25 points, six blocks, three steals against Toronto round one. 21 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks against Toronto round two. With a fractured hand. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they, they frankly ruined his Austin game on Sunday. I mean, he was carrying like, – he had a couple of big threes in that yeah. game. Like, I thought he was going to end up carrying him to win, and then they blew. Because he was like – like, I was looking at selling like, he'd go for, like, that old uh, – if you count blocks and steals his one, the old triple-double. If you do, like – I guess he didn't quite have enough rebounds. But he was just – he had an amazing night on Sunday, I thought. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, maybe not as best as a pacer, but it, it, it's up there for best weeks for him so far. Yeah, he, remember right before Vic's big injury, December and January of 2018-19 season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good that year. Yeah, yeah but, but yes, he fantastic Only week. Only until Miles' time. 
his defensive box plus minus, if you fancy advanced stats, still tops the league, him and Marcus Saul, both up there. Um, now his on-off numbers look hilariously good on defense because of the Clippers game and Mavs game, uh, them just playing awful defense without him. And then he's combining it with ridiculous offense. This has so far been the best season of his career, no doubt. Um, the offense is there right now. And then, you know, like the fourth quarter today, for example, with, with Sabonis out, they were like, okay, we need you to, you know, do some handoffs and roll to the basket. And he did a great job, right? We talked about how many free throws he took in this game. Um, 14, I believe earlier uh and he's combining that with you know fringe defensive player of the year numbers on the defensive and he he has been really fantastic and a really crucial part of what Bjorkren does this year and he credited his mental state today after the game you know saying that spending time in California this offseason really helped him just feel more relaxed clear his mind and Bjorkren's helping him out and he, he's playing just truly fantastic so far this year so if, if you had a, to gauge it right now where would he be on the defensive player of the year kind of like you give your top five Top five guys, Anthony Davis is up there, Rudy Gobert, the same cast as usual, right? Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, Giannis, Embiid, and Turner are your top five this year, which sucks because uh, three, maybe four of those guys are going to be centers when it comes to, like, all defense teams and stuff. But, he's, you know, he's been, you know, as good as, as many of those guys. He's smoking them all in the blocks. The on-off is catching up to those guys now, right? Gobert is just ridiculous because – I mean, he defends, like, an absurd number of shots per game, and he probably will end up in the top one or two again. But you could easily make the argument he's been more impactful and better than Embiid. Davis is kind of a tough case because he might be more impactful than Davis, but Davis can do more, you know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. much better defending perimeter guys. Same, same kind of thing with Giannis there. So I think you could probably put him top three alongside Gobert and probably Anthony Davis, but it, it you know – the fact that we're having this discussion about how good he's been just shows how good he's been, that he's in the same breath as those guys. It's just, he's been so good and it's a crowded field, but he, you know, his impact on that end of the floor and what they ask him to do, which is bail out the mistakes of other guys. He's just been so good at it. Yeah. I, I think for him to sort of become defensive player, the other Pagers defensive rating has to be in like the top five and he has to have some, un, some weird percentage where it's like, looks like he's basically like around the rim he's like not necessarily blocking every shot but basically like creating this like weird vortex around the rim where guys are shooting terrible basically around the rim when he's on the court um which is hard to do i mean i'm not saying he can do that but like he definitely because he's not because blocks is not a well it's a traditional stat it's not a defensive player of the year like right management as much as like some of those other ratings are if that makes sense it's just cool <laughs> yeah well it, it actually is valuable i mean it, it's more valuable in the sense of what it does to deter guys going to rim or forcing guys into right. bad stuff right like the thing about Turner that's the best is not necessarily him swatting a ball you know halfway across the court but it's he goes there and guys are fearful of getting blocked so they you know do one extra little push to the rim and end up off balance and throw it over the rim and pick a rebound and turn into a fast break like well, that, that's where his value really is is that just like I, the fear right. of being blocked almost yeah guys are afraid to drive and I have a subtle thing about his blocks that I actually haven't articulated on this podcast I want to talk about okay in past seasons we talked about this a lot where he would go for blocks that would take him out of rebound position a lot or, like, make someone available on the weak side. And I feel like that has, like, very rarely happened this season. I think yeah, that's it happened a little, er little bit er early on, if I remember right. Um, but it, it hasn't been as frequent as I remember, right? Because I, yeah. I, I kind of – when I watch the game, I always – when I see them, like, oh, Turner didn't screw that up, but he kind of did because he, he bit out too much, right? And the, the team seems to be – kind of one daring team to take the mid-range shot basically instead of worrying about him jumping out there all the time which i think is a smart move percentage wise and then i think with all the teams trying to go to the rim more and more it's helped him with that kind of because they aren't necessarily like trying to pull him they're just trying to go at him like a lot of guys just don't realize that he can kind of that he is kind of the the vortex around the rim that he is yeah absolutely and combining it with the offense is just it's just it's insane and He's really shown how valuable he can be this year. So uh, credit, credit to him for, you know, after all the, the trade rumors about him this summer to just come out and kick some major ass and be a big part of the team this year. They, the, the Pacers are 500 since their first three games, but they're still winning two out of every three when Turner plays. So he has uh, been extremely valuable. Yeah, I think tonight we kind of got a preview of if there's no Sabonis, what it's going to be like with him just giving yep. – not maybe the same exact Sabonis is rolling the rim, but it's going to get a lot of the pick and roll, a lot of the – try to feed him in the matchup down low, let him draw fouls and make free throws. Let's talk about his backup now for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so Goga finally, finally broke in to the – whatever you want to call it, the rotation, I guess would be the right way to put it, right? He played 12 minutes tonight. He ended up playing – 
they even he did not play on set Sunday, right? And then he played early this week. He played like all of half a minute, right, against the the Magic. Yeah. But after you went on this podcast and screamed about it for 15 minutes, Gurkin <laughs> exactly heard you and said, "Got to put Goga." And Goga uh, puts up 10 points, two rebounds, two blocks tonight. Uh, you know, just what you need when you don't actually have your starting center. Ac- actually, bonus. you know what, Adam? I don't care about this game. He was bad against the Clippers, which means he's a bust. No other games matter in my analysis. That's how this works, right? That's that's how. He finally looked, I thought tonight he finally looked a little bit better. Like, he honestly. looked like this in the bubble last year. But anyway. No, yes. but like, I don't know. I, I think he did a little bit. But like, I feel like tonight he finally, like just this season, finally looked like he got his feet on him. Yeah, in his second game, playing. but. Well, I guess he played for what, like all of six seconds against the Magic at the end of the I think third that's quarter. what it was, if that, yeah. I don't remember what it was. It was not very much. I was very happy that they went with him over, no offense to Jakar, who, again, is fantastic in his own way, but got they, got, they have got to give Goga the backup center in minutes, which is the crux of my argument, and they did it. I am basking in the glory of the correctness of Nate Bjorkren for once. And again, he did, a, like you said, he did a nice job. He drew some fouls himself and hit three shots. Uh, two blocks. The defense was there. I did an entire clip of one nice possession of defense he had. Uh, and him being a useful enough backup center will help bridge the gap uh, in the in the in any time Sabonis is out, right? And against the Clippers, they got smoked partly because Goga's minutes were not very good. So if he can continue to play like he did in this game, that will help him get more minutes for development. And that will help them potentially bridge a gap without having Sabonis, which is really good. And he looked, you know, he set some good screens, which was a big problem he had last year. Finished around the rim, like you said, had the two blocks. He just looked a lot better. So we have one sample of him not doing so hot and one sample of him looking like a capable backup NBA big. Now he's got to grow. It's obviously second year and 57 games in, but it's a good baseline. And look what happens when you actually give your first round pick some playing time. Things uh, might go well. Yeah, I mean, the scariest thing about the bonus is when you open his b-ball ref page, his minutes per game is in bold, which means he leads the league in minutes per game. That's what that usually, you know, this, the bold that goes to like a guy <laughs> who led the league that year. So, like for Shaq, Finley pulled the order, he got like points and rebounds one year and free throw shots take all, you know, for bonus is minutes, which is like the scariest thing to be leading the league in. Uh, into if they want to have anything to bring those minutes from 38 per game down to like 35, they got to put Goga some. I mean, uh, they have to figure yep. out how to get him some minutes. I mean, whether it's just second quarter minutes or whatever it is that. The thing that's happened this year, right, is the two centers can play together and play pretty well together, like enough for like they have really want to be on the court together at times because they've been, to be honest, that 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 good together, right? So then that means you can actually give Gogo the center minutes, which you should have lived on the bench because um, one he needs to develop in the sense of like we just don't know what he is, right? He is a was he twenty one now? A guy who's played five professional basketball, three in Europe, the second one in in America, but you know. Rookie year was the weirdest year in maybe the history of the planet, frankly, or at least modern His whole career. Yeah, I mean, well, like, he comes over. He doesn't right. He can't get a visa for the first couple of months. Then, yep. then the pandemic, and then you know, you just like, and then there's a bubble, which had never happened before in the NBA. Like all this weird stuff, and just like you expect a guy, especially who is basically a fish out of water when it comes to America, to like, of course, he's going to have some growing pains when it's going to be hard. I mean, you've seen a lot of with international players, right? Pascal Siakam. That's been a big thing about him, right? He's had a lot of issues adjusting with the bubble because he didn't know what to do and whatnot and kind of like where to go. You know, he wasn't acclimated to America the way some of the other players are. He didn't have like his gym he could go to whatnot in secret. Um, but he just needs to play minutes because he, when he plays, he looks good enough to deserve some minutes, right? Now, yep. sure, maybe he shouldn't be playing clutch time in the fourth quarter, but like he's got some offensive power to him. He can put up some points and he can put up 10 points a game or not even that, but like just make three or four shots when he comes in the game. That's enough to earn minutes because that's all you want out of a, your – third string center basically even when yeah like you said turbonus are both playing just five minutes for goga to get Sabonis's minutes down a tiny bit makes a lot of sense to me four minutes whatever just in the first half even if you don't want to have him in the crunch time whatever i don't care just a little bit of time and then these games like tonight when one of them is out maybe even if it's a foul trouble thing like when they play the sixers on sunday that will probably happen to turner then in that kind of game, same thing, maybe a little more minutes. Just they got to get him this time to work through that first game and look better and look at that. The second game, he looked a lot better, right? Bjorker praised his skills before the season even started. It mentioned they had to get him playing time. They finally did in this one. And I am happy that he played well because I think that people rushing to label him after that first game was the most ridiculous thing ever. He's not TJ Leaf. No, no, not even close to me. He's athletically on another level. I mean, you can just see it when he's out it, there. His – I – 
his feel and like his understanding of where he needs to be is is way better. It's just, he's, a, he's just more better. athletic. I mean, even... watch him. He's just more athletic. He's a bigger yeah. body who can do more things because he can like throw on his what he's seven feet tall and who knows what his wingspan and kind of frame. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing him grow, and I wanted to talk about him because he played pretty well, even if it was in short minutes, and he might be playing more in the future depending on how long this injury is. So a yeah. lot of center talk today. Well, that's what you and I said before the season, right? We were kind of concerned when they didn't trade Turner. It was like, oh, well, will Goga's development be stalled? But we both said, I think it was at some point, you figure our center would get hurt for a little bit. I mean, when you play, you got 38 minutes or just yeah. when, the centers are just more likely to get hurt because they're just constantly in contact with their players, right? They're constantly either blocking shots or taking contact from guards or whatnot. And then they, you know, the refs don't, you know, let them get away with more or get hit more by other teams, frankly. So it's what you'd expect eventually. So it's good to see him get some minutes. Hopefully, well, I guess hopefully maybe he doesn't get more minutes because his bonus is back. But if his bonus is out, it's good to see that he'll get some minutes, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, not, I don't think any the other role guys really stood out to me uh, in the last week. TJ McConnell had a really nice week. Uh, his first week home after the birth of his child. He continues to be the spark up the bench. I don't think anyone else merits a long conversation. What about you? No, I think we should wait a week and then maybe do Aaron Holly next week because I think we should give him one one more week to see what he can do. <laughs> He's had he was okay today to his credit. He was fine. Yeah, let's give this, it a week. Give, we'll give it another week. We'll we'll, we'll buy him some time <laughs> before we we really dive into him. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's do this. Let's talk about. Let's preview the, the. They have three games, but really two matchups this week. But first, let's take one quick break. And today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by RockAuto.com, a family business serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now to shop for any auto or body part from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet for your car. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a fusy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are reliably low and same for the do-it-yourselfers. So why would you spend up to twice as much for the same part? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck in the right and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Main selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And today's Locked On Paid Podcast also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the amazing protein bar company that makes 18 awesome chocolate-covered protein bars, everything from caramel brownie to lemon almond cheesecake to peanut butter brownie, and they are 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the healthy, conscious person. They help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. My favorite one, the peanut butter brownie, has 19 grams of protein and only 180 calories. And right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com, you can code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So the Pacers have three more games this week. Luckily, there's no back-to-backs left, but they play Wednesday in Charlotte, Friday in Charlotte, and Sunday at home against the Sixers. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting week. I'm glad we delayed this because there's no point in me and you talking about the Raptors one day after they played the Raptors. But, yeah, it's, I like the little mini-series thing they're doing this year. Uh, Nick Nurse was kind of talking about it actually before the Pacers game last night, and he said, you know, it's nice that it cuts down travel, but he just, you know, he, it doesn't really, like, cross his mind. He just plays the schedule in front of him. But for me as a viewer, it's nice playing the same team like this. And I think it makes the product better, right? Like the back-to-backs have felt like better quality games to me this year because they're playing the same team often in them. So I, yeah, it, it's almost the product of like, because both teams, you know, are exhausted. They both let, you know what I mean? Then it yeah, goes, that's true. More even feel. Uh, Want to hear a crazy stat real fast before we go to like the, 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 the week, I guess. Yeah. Go for it. Pacers have lost four of their seven games on, on, on weekends. Wow, they do I mean, seem to lose more on weekends. That's so they 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 won their first two when they played Chicago and Boston back to back that first week of the season. But then since then they have lost Saturday to New York, lost Saturday to Phoenix, uh, lost Sunday to LA, and they got the Saturday game was delayed against Phoenix the second one, uh, and then lost on Sunday to the Toronto. So I think they haven't won a weekend game since December since the start of the year. So wow, that's just interesting. Crazy. Not that it really matters much. I mean, maybe it's something, but I'm know. taking a loss against the Sixers. How about that? I think you already had that before. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> our preseason predictions for this week. Uh, we both picked a win in the first game in Charlotte and a loss in the second one. And then Adam picked a win over Philly. I picked a loss, but 
Philly's a lot better than most people predicted. Well, not maybe a lot better, but they're better than a lot of people thought before the season. We'll get to them later. The Hornets, they play them twice. Remarkably healthy Hornets right now. Everyone's good to go for them. Nobody even on the basketball reference provided injury report. They're 20th in offense and 12th in defense. The Charlotte Hornets, look at them go. Uh, for 18th in net rating, they're 7-10, and 10, so hovering around the play-in, playoff range right now in the East. And really, they're kind of interesting because last year, Devontae Graham was super good, and him and Terry Rozier were carrying the team. And this year, Devontae Graham hasn't been as good, but they added Gordon Hayward, who has been ridiculous, and that has really helped them look like a capable team. Yeah, this is the uh, the alternative universe that we live in where the Pacers got Gordon Hayward, but gave up <laughs> Doug McDermott and Turner. Um, no, Hayward's been really good, but I'm not sure it's any – it's really more an indictment on the Celtics than anything, frankly. Let's, let's try to talk about Hayward without talking about the trade. Well, I was going <laughs> to that, frankly. Um, no, he is finally – a couple of things. He's finally getting like um, – he's finally back to getting what's it called, like first option kind, yep. of, kind of looks, right? So he's the guy – balls in his hands or the plays are running through him. He's getting 17 shots per game, uh, and he's shooting like incredibly well. I mean, he is just – I mean, he's just playing lights out right now. I mean, we're 15 games in, so we'll see if that can hold. But, I mean, the way he's playing, he's, you know, maybe better than at any, any of his peaks, right? I mean, I mean, peak season, you could probably say, was Utah right all before summer. Year. Yeah, but he didn't make All-NBA, right? He was just outside. That was the year they were right. – PG got snubbed, too. Um, really didn't get snubbed. There were just so many good forwards, it was hard to pick, right? But um, he's having I the best year of his career right now. Now, so we're 15 games in, not 40, so we don't know if it's, like, for real, for real yet. But um, – you know, this rate, yeah, he's looking at an All NBA berth, possibly. Yeah, his highest usage rate this season, every out of every season of his career, this is the second highest behind that All Star season. So he's looking really good when they're they're trusting him. And I didn't I didn't mean to take a shot at you at the trade thing. I no, you're fine. You're fine. On Twitter, every time anyone brings up Gordon Hayward, Pacers people are like, "But Miles is good too." Like, no, no, no. I don't. I'm not talking about that. I just want to talk about Gordon yeah. Hayward. An indictment on Boston, not on the yeah. Pacers, not yes. on the Hornets. Yes, the team that got absolutely nothing. Trust me, if I can take a shot at, the, at Boston, I'm going to take the shot at Boston. So <laughs> I'm with you. So Hayward's been really good, and there's a reason that the Hornets went from, you know, not an awesome team last year. I think they were 12th or 13th in the East, too. Pretty capable, and, you know, the, they're the team that I see a lot of national guys called, like, the pesky Hornets, right? Like, the, 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 you can still beat them. There's a reason they're 7-10, and 10, but they make – they're a thorn in your side when you play them. So Hayward at 24 points a game very efficiently. Terra Rozier actually looking good. A guy I have dumped on many times in the past is hitting 41.5% of seven threes a game. He's averaging a ton of points. P.J. Washington's taking a nice step forward from his rookie year. Miles Bridges looks a tiny bit better. I'm still not quite a fan of him, but he's hitting three, so he's been good. And, of course, my favorite player to watch from possibly the entire NBA, LaMelo Ball, is just a delight at creating shots and rebounding. And he's just been a fantastic rookie. So – they just got more talent. Like, that sometimes seems duh, but, you know, they, they added some good guys and got some nice steps forward that has made them not a terrible team. So these games will not be as easy as they were last year. Yeah, not to beat the Hayward thing, but are, are, are we one year removed from, uh, like, a rescue hate? Hayward hashtag. Like, you know, the way Mike, Mike, Mike Conley was for years. I mean, are we like, like after this whole thing's too big of a contract, everybody freaking out. Are we like, if he does this for two years, like, Oh, somebody put Hayward on a better team than the rebuilding, you know, Hornets. I guess they're not. Well, I was going to say but. that there's a, not a ridiculous chance to me that next year, like if Malik Monk can actually learn to do anything good on NBA court, they would have oh, like my. a pretty right. damn good team. That, you, you, you just said a caveat that's never going to happen. <laughs> Malik Monk is kind of junk, unfortunately. He, he was supposed to be good. I thought he was going to be like the, you know, fell in the draft, he's you know, the, the Donovan Mitchell kind of guy. That, is he the only Kentucky guard that didn't outperform their draft position in like the last half decade? I mean, no, all the, the Harrison twins sucked. But, oh, uh, they didn't even get drafted high, though. That doesn't no, no, you're right. I mean, the guys who outperformed are uh, like Devin Booker did. I'm trying to think who else. I can't. Uh, John Wall was always – Booker, Murray. Wall was the first pick. Okay. I mean, you'll quickly right but now. But Wall was really good still for being the first pick. I mean, he clearly yeah. realized his potential. Fox. Uh, yeah, they have a lot of guys that look good. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I don't really talk about that much, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a lot of guys that end up looking a little better after the draft all the time. So um, Malik Monk is the only one that is, is not doing it. Anyway. You have LaMelo takes a step forward, and P.J. Washington continues to grow. Rozier, right, and Hayward can hold this. They'll be pretty solid, I think, in the future. But right now, I think they're kind of mediocre. And, they're, they're, again, they're the thornier side team that's very capable of beating you. And a big reason for that is they've got a lot of three-point vari variation on their team. You know, Hayward can get hot. Rozier can get hot. Devontae Graham can get hot. He takes eight a game. And even though he's not hitting him, when you take eight a game, there's always a chance you just have that night you hit six and look amazing. So, 
they're only middle of the pack in threes, but given that the guys they have and the fact that they've been good in the past, I think they can be a good offensive team any night. Yeah, I think the one advantage of the Pacers with them is that they are not very big. So you look at their yep. at their at their rebounding. The Pacers are one of the worst rebounding teams in the league too. So <laughs> the Pacers are 29th in rebounds per game, um, frankly, right now, which is just terrible because you start two centers. But uh, the Raptors are, are 30th in offensive rebounds given up to opponents, um, and they're all they're 24th oh, yeah. in, in or four fifteen in total rebounds. So they're just not the good of a, of a rebounding team either, frankly, which should help depending on opponents plays or not and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to sort of reevaluate this team based on their past, right? I mean, they've always, they always were Kemba's team, and he was always that, you know, what is this? They scored 149 points at the Pacers one time. Remember the game where Batum and him went off? So, like, they always had that kind of, like, go off crazy amount of points potential. But the past couple of years, they've been a little bit worse than that, frankly. Um, but now they're sort of – That was a special of, game. That was the Dan Burke head coaching game. I know, I know. That was the game we both <laughs> said they would have great defense, and they gave it the most points in franchise history. I'm pretty sure it wasn't an overtime game. This is a um, lot of Hornets stock. Yeah, so, well, we, we can do a lot harder because it's two games, right? So, yeah. Butchers for the, for, for the series. Give me the guy who has the best two, bo- throughout both two games, right? So, not, not, not the Brogdon where he has one bad and one good to have an average week, but who has <laughs> the best two games? It's a, they're interesting. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, they're first in assists and last in assists conceded, right? So, they lead the league in pa- – they set up their teammates, but their team defense sucks, and they let other teams just pass them to death. So that bodes, a lot of young guards, frankly. Exactly. So that bodes well for any guy on the – like McConnell is going to be a, a key guy against this team because – Yeah, well, the Pacers will go small, I would assume, too. I mean – Yeah, it's a bonus misses time here. So, yeah. uh, you know, Hayward's like an obvious butcher option. Um, but I'm actually going to – I think I'm going to go with Rozier here just because he's been shooting so well from three that I think Brogdon's going to struggle to both cover the drive and the outside shot. And he's actually been consistent with it, which, you know, he shot terribly. He shot under 40% like all the time in Boston when everybody was for some reason thinking he'd be an awesome fit on the Pacers. Yeah. You were very against that. I remember right. Very much against that. Yes. He is. He is a lot better now to his credit. He was still not good his first year in Charlotte, but he's been better this year. Uh, And he's consistent now, which makes him a threat. So I think he, I'm lobbing you Hayward, but I think he's the guy that to me could, could really tilt these games in the Hornets favor just because he's actually a consistent scoring threat who has the ball a lot. And that, that, you know, that guy who is quick can get by Brogdon at times. So he could, he could be a tough one to, to, to match up with. Yeah. I think the interesting about Rodezier is when you put with him with better players, he played well. You saw that in Boston, right? When he played with, talented players he played well and I, I don't know if last year just the team was so bad that was kind of the reason he's he stung if that makes sense um I'm 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 gonna zag I'm gonna so you you <laughs> threw me Gordon Hayward to take us to butcher but I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna pick Devontae Graham who in his three games against the Pacers last season had 35 <laughs> points uh a not great 12 point night but then a 22 point night uh and I believe they won that first one on behind the 35 points when they beat him in overtime if I remember right that first, like that, go way back, beginning of last season, like one of the Pacers' first five or six games, they lost to the Hornets in overtime. Where like Warren had thirty, and so did Jeremy Lamb. But I think Devontae Graham is all is uh, a matchup nightmare for the Pacers, frankly, because he's getting hot from three recently. In the four games prior, the Hornets just played tonight. I don't have the stats for that one, but in the four games before that, he hit forty uh, percent or better from deep in all of them. And took 12, 9, 10, and 7, 3. So that's a, a good and choice. And to be honest, I think he's just kind of having a slump right now. I think he's a really good player. I he mean, is I really think, good. I mean, I think, you know, he could be obviously be more efficient, you know, in the two point line or whatnot and, you know, figure that, figure out how to get more frizz and whatnot. But like, I think he's a good player and his, his stats right now just are just him having a slump throughout the year, I think. In the three games, Rozier took far, sorry. Rozier took over 10 threes in three games. He had 24 points in one of them, 35 in another, and 42 in the third. And that, you know, if he can get – if he can heat up from deep, he's a scary player. Scary, yeah. scary, as they call him. So, those two in Hayward are dangerous. The rest of their team uh, kind of relies on other guys to create for them. But I'm excited to watch the mellow ball too. But I hinted at my X Factor, so I'm just going to say now. It's, it's McConnell. If, if they really can't play good team defense, he's going to carve them up. He's going to dribble them in and hit an open shooter or find an open cutter. And if they're really going to play him this much – um, because they're going a little smaller with Sabonis out, he could have a nice uh, two-game series if Sabonis is out. That is. Yeah, I uh, I think McConnell's a very good pick. I mean, I, I think the, right. we'll see some lineups even of uh, Brogdon, Lamb, McConnell, one of the let's say Holiday or McDermott and Turner. If we I agree. See, we don't see Sabonis. I think we'll see a lot of. We saw some of that tonight, even a little bit, or some combination of that. Um, but my butcher, I think, is going to be Jeremy Lamb. 
for the revenge. He's been playing really well. I think True. he's just going to play better. I mean, I think he's being put in really good position this Pacer team. I think they're really he just when you put him you put him around that many offensive threats between you know put him with with, with Holiday and McDermott and Brogdon and Turner points to good offensively. That shows he just kind of is lost by defenses at times, and that allows him to go off. Frankly, yeah. I'm picking a split, you know, like you talked about with the Raptors earlier. That's just kind of how it goes in the yeah, NBA I, yeah. with two, like, not terrible teams. I'm picking a split. But the reason I'm actually pretty confident the Pacers will win one and maybe two, I'm picking a split, but I still think they can win two, is because the kryptonite for the Pacers defensively this year has been big forwards or wings. You know, OG had a really good game and, and was able to, to buoy the Raptors without Siakam and Lowry. Kawhi and PG did really well. Tatum did really well. Uh, Julius Randle did really well, right? Teams that have these kind of larger scoring forwards have been really tough matchups for the Pacers this year. And the Hornets don't necessarily have that guy. P.J. Washington is a pretty good scorer, and he's kind of large, but not nearly the level of any of the guys I just mentioned. So I think that they don't really have the killer thing that can destroy the Pacers. Um, Hayward can be that guy, and he might be, and that might swing things. But I don't know if they have quite that level of guy. We'll see. Yeah, but OG I- did have a 30-point game, so Hayward maybe will just – make me look like an idiot I just I can't explain why I don't put Hayward in like the can do what those guys did here maybe he can make because you haven't seen it for three years I mean (laughs) he was barely getting there I mean he was just getting close to there before he got hurt right when he left Utah I mean he was like that last year Utah was like oh is he gonna be in that conversation and then he got hurt and he's been lost like OG isn't in that conversation and he had a 30 point game maybe I'll walk that back a little bit maybe maybe Hayward can be just too big for them but he doesn't, we'll doesn't, doesn't have any playoff moments. Like PG and for at one point, PG and Hayward were kind of the same player, but PG has all the playoff. He yeah. did have playoff moments. Now he doesn't, but he did. But from the you know 12, 13, and 14 pages where he was really good in the playoffs and kind of centered to the light, where Hayward never really had a chance to do that yet. Yeah. So maybe Hayward can do that, but because he, he kind of fits that mold, I can't explain why he feels different to me than that, but he does. So anyway, I think they can win both, but I think they split. Yeah, I really want to pick a back a, two wins in a row, but it's just so hard. I mean, I, I just don't. I mean, this team's like, been too inconsistent recently for me to pick a two zero. I'm sure we've seen it, but like, have we, I wonder once we the year ends, how many teams win both of the games in a back to back like this? Yeah, you know what I mean. Against, I wonder against the same team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. That's that. that that's what I mean. Um, yeah. Pretty so far, split both. Right? They split Boston and they split with Toronto. So Correct. we'll see. But I, I just it's so hard. I mean, unless you're like just a dominant team, like you know. I mean, or you're a really bad team, it's just going to be hard to win two in a row against the same team. Cause it just, is tough. Teams, teams kind of either want to show that they're, you know, not like terrible and not, you know, not rollovers. And also you have the coaching adjustments, which are huge. But, um, okay, let's move on to Sunday's game, which I think is the biggest match of the Pacers season probably so far, frankly. Uh, and that the is the record in the league, I believe. Yeah. And that is a battle with the, at, right now, 12 and 6 Philadelphia 76ers. They are, um, Great. Playing, playing really good basketball. Now, the one thing I will say is they're playing a little above their win expected, right? Um, good clutch so far, yeah. Yeah, really good clutch team. Uh, I'll, they'll do the rating. They're 13 in, def- in offensive rating and third in defensive rating. Um, not surprising considering when you're anchored by Embiid and Ben Simmons. Um, but this has been Embiid's team now, frankly. All right. They, they could have moved into the best record in the league, but they lost the Pistons today. Oh, they did? Which would make you go, wow, maybe they're not that good. But Joel Embiid didn't play, so it doesn't count. Um but yeah, Embiid, I'm happy I picked him as a potential MVP candidate when we did our preseason things. I ultimately picked Giannis. But Embiid has been so, so good this year. And that's a big reason they've been good. They finally have like Seth Curry is and Danny Green, right? They finally have the shooting around Embiid to make him as good as he can be, right? He was better with Redick than he was without Redick. And then he improved, but they had worse fit around him. Um, but between... Seth Curry, who, by the way, is hitting 56% from three on five attempts per game. Insane. Danny Green hitting 36% of six and a half per game. And Tobias Harris hitting 45% of five a game. They're getting, they, they get away with Simmons not being a threat at all. They have the space. So Embiid can just dominate in the post, grab every rebound, draw a bunch of fouls, and quite frankly, just take over games. So the good fit around their stars, even if Simmons has kind of been having a down year, has really made this team dangerous. Yeah, it's really sad they didn't trade for James Harden. No, I mean, they're, they're, yeah. Embiid is at like a Shaq level right now. This oh, yeah, he is. Not quite. I mean, Shaq was like 30 oh, points a game, so maybe not quite there, but like he's playing on that dominant. And he's, he's got, so and they finally have the um, 
the role players in place. They just need that second star, yeah. frankly. And, and Simmons just isn't quite it. I mean, he he's a really he's above he's above a role player, but he's not quite a star, really. I think. I mean, see, in the past, it used to be easy. We could just when we do the X factors against the Sixers bench, like duh, they have a crappy bench. Now, you know, they have Matisse Thybul, who's a good bench player who can play quality defense. Dwight Howard, who's given the Pacers threat. Uh, he's given the Pacers troubles as a lob threat in the past couple seasons. Tyrese Maxey, their first-round pick, who I really liked, has looked good. Shake Milton has looked awesome for them. 15 points a game off the bench as a scorer, right? So they have, like, a capable rotation, too. So so suddenly, uh, Daryl Morey came in and in one offseason fixed literally every weakness this team had. And, uh, you know, th- yes, they'd probably be title favorites with Harden. They're probably – one of the favorites in the East still. They're really good. They're going to be a very yeah. tough team for the Pacers to beat, and especially hold- if Monas can't play. They're probably holding off for the Bradley Beal trade, frankly. That would be a great choice for them, yes. Right. I mean, th- yeah, he's coming and done a lot. And it's sad if they can they were- find a way to do it without Simmons, they are my title favorites, I think. Yeah, they, the I don't know how they would, but they would be my favorites. The thing about them is it's sad because they were the incompetent franchise with – you know, trading away picks from Markel Fultz and you know, that kind of whole move that Boston Jason Tatum and they could have had. And they were they couldn't, you know, giving Tobias Harris too much money and putting him in a role he shouldn't be in. But now they're confident, so now they're going to be good because Embiid is, is like a once-a-generation player, so it's crazy. Can I just do Embiid as my butcher now, or do you want to do it? Uh, you, you do it. Give me the <laughs> case. I mean, it's obvious. He's just – he kills the Pacers, and he's unreal this year. The thing is, if Sabonis was playing – like, Sabonis, I think, loves playing against Embiid. You know, he gets to bang bodies in the post and, and be aggressive and, and stuff like that. If, if Sabonis can't play – I mean, we we've been through this a million times. Turner just gets his ass kicked by Embiid, right? Yeah, this is this is it. Turner might be the defensive player of the year. This is the moment where he doesn't hold Embiid to twenty points and yeah. makes him shoot this awful night and doesn't get foul trouble, basically. Like like Turner, yeah. Turner's fouls are a big problem against Embiid. Goga might end up playing like over twenty minutes in this game, so Embiid's just gonna kick Turner's ass. It's just it's just gonna happen, right? And like, yeah, that's a black mark on Turner, but like everybody gets their ass kicked by Embiid, but also it's worse for Turner than it is for other guys, like comparative to the rest of their performances, which is why it's a thing. But anyway, yeah, Embiid's going to dominate. He dominates everybody. He really dominates Turner. I think the key for the Pacers is going to be to keep him off the free throw line, right? A lot of times last year, he got like 15, 16 free throws in a game. He's averaging 11 this year. If they can keep him to like 10, you know, maybe that can help. But he's just, he's been so good that it's going to be really hard for them to stop him. And his defense is ridiculous too. And he's got Dan Burke to teach him how to play drop coverage. So he's just a freaking good NBA center. Yeah, so I don't think I need to pick my butcher because I think Embiid is mine as well. Um, X factor wise, I think this game comes down to Malcolm Brogdon, frankly. Um, Brogdon was great against the Sixers a lot last year. Yeah, and he's the kind of player who has in these kind of moments to put up, you know, that has a match Embiid's points, but Embiid's, of course, Ford Barnes scored 30 something and, like, you know, has to be, you know, a 30 point tennis is kind of like Brogdon if they want to have a shadow winning, I think. Maybe it's a power thing. I'm going back to the big wing thing I just talked about. Maybe yeah. I just don't view Hayward as like a powerful guy, whereas like Tatum and OG. And I'll get to why this affects the Sixers. So um, you're stuck on this Hayward. Sorry, thing. no, this will become a Sixers thing. But um, you know, Tatum and OG and Kawhi slash PG and some and Julius Randall, those guys are power guys. Tatum less so, but you know, they just stick it stick it at you, right? And that and they can score and create that way. And Ben Simmons can do that. And whoever is guarding Ben Simmons, which I presuming is going to be Malcolm Brogdon, is in for a tough night because of that. They're going to have to do a good job. Even if Simmons is having a down year, he's still averaging 13, 9, and 8 uh, and is a great defensive player. And he's hitting 20% from three. Let's give him uh, some credit for that. I think he's uh, one for five, so <laughs> he made one. Um, but, yeah, the, if, if Brogdon can't contain Simmons at all or, like, can't stop him from – driving and being Ben Simmons they just they just don't have a chance right they've got the shooters and Embiid's too good now so Brogdon I was gonna pick as an x-factor as well um but just thinking about it in general I think McDermott's a big one for me because they don't they they, they have Embiid he's a great post defender uh, but they don't quite and they have Simmons you know, he's their on ball guy but they don't quite have the away from the play stuff and they can get some of the two man's actions with McDermott going or get him free away from the ball. If he can hit some some key threes, that might be able to keep him in a game against a very tough Sixers team. But it's a weekend game. I mean, I can't not pick the Sixers, right? Yes, they are. They are two and four against the Pacers. Are so they've lost four <laughs> in a row in the weekend. So that, uh, what? What? Yeah, what's their weekend record looking like? In, in oh Philly? God. Okay, hold on. I, I no, I'm, I got I got their days of the week up. I mean, on I, Saturday they are three and two, and on Sunday they are zero oh and one. Ooh, they're three and three, baby. Uh, t- uh, Two teams who suck on the weekends, imagine. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just I just feel like they lost every Saturday this year for a while. That's that an way. interesting thing. I don't think there's anything to that, but that is interesting. I mean, I think it's just the fact they they might you know the scheduling the way it's set up, right? I mean, they you know the Clippers game was a bad scheduling loss, basically, kind of the way it was. I mean, yeah, were any of them like disgusting losses? I don't think so, right? For the for the Pacers, yeah. I mean, the Knicks is the worst loss on a weekend, and that's not even that bad. They're an okay team. I mean, they lost the Clippers on Sunday. That was disgusting, but that was expected. well. But like, they didn't have. They were gonna lose that game. I don't know. There's, the Pacers the, the, this year, and it's been the, kind of the theme is outside of that Clippers game, they've pretty much been in every game and had a shot to win every game they've lost. Right? Yep. Lost by yep. five to Boston, four to New York, eight to Phoenix, five to Sacramento. I guess Dallas they got kind of beat, but they felt like they were in that game until the last minute. Lost by they were. them. In Toronto, they lost by five. In Toronto, they should have freaking beat on Sunday, frankly. But um, <laughs> yeah, like each of these games, I can point to like a four minutes left till I should have won the game, or if you know, Brogdon wasn't just dead tired, like he's been in a lot of games at the end, and they would have won. So I don't know. They're averaging 102 points per game on Sundays. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, they put up 129 last night or tonight. So that's yeah. reporting. So that's good. Good. Uh, good. I'm good predicting for them. two and no, I I'm probably gonna predict a one and two week. I think. I think they can win two, but I think they end up winning one. I think two and one. I actually think they might beat the Sixers, frankly. What did, did we both pick a loss before? No, we. No, I, just, I did. I picked uh, a win. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they they had they did well against Philly last year, so maybe they can do. I it. so here's the thing, Philly is um, they're I guess they're net. I I'm trying. I don't. The problem is we don't know the Pacers' current net rating because in either Philly's because of the on the games from today, um, put in yet. But I think their net rating is closer to the average, like closer to like not top tier as a, as a record, if that makes sense, right? So like yeah. the, the Bucks net rating is like ridiculous. And they're just, it's a matter of time before they become the, the one seed, frankly, because they're just going to keep blowing teams out because they're that good. But like, I think the Sixers and Pacers are closer in net rating than maybe the records show. And I think they're more of an even matchup right now. I, I think the Sixers are really good because Embiid's really good, but they, they just don't have a second player. And that, that will be, uh, will hurt them eventually. I mean, not right now, but it's going to come back to five. They didn't, didn't get hard or they don't get, probably be eventually yeah we'll see but the if you can beat him now that's even better right yeah it's gonna be a good one all right yeah long podcast but lots to talk about i had a good time yeah so we will have three more shows this week uh we will preview both the hornets games this week and we'll break that down for you guys and we'll be back again next monday with our weekly show Uh, i know we were a day late this time but we thought it wasn't worth it as, as tony said to start the show to do a raptors breakdown to preview the game the next day when they played the same team so uh, but each week we'll do a weekly show, so check those out. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Pages. You can follow Tony at T's NBA, me at Freeman Adam 5. That is all for his Lockdown Pages podcast. We will see you guys again tomorrow.